fermented bear meat. I've had it. Yeah, it's good. It tastes like chicken. <laughs> um, so that is coming up in just a couple of weeks. The cost is two hundred bucks um, for two day for Friday, Saturday, uh, Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, all day Sunday. So that's food, lodging, everything's included. Um, but that's from Calvary Chapel, Lake Stevens, some friend of ours, some friends of ours down in Lake Stevens, they invited us to go with them. And then um, our other buddy and his church of, uh, down in Edmonds, so Pastor Joel, and he's taken a crew of guys too. So they extended the invite to us, but they need to know, and we are so Bellingham about it. We have lots of like, yeah, that would be cool, but no hard yeses. Um, no, zero commitment. Welcome to Bellingham. Uh, but seriously, if that's something, guys, you'd be into, I uh, told them that we'd get them final numbers this week. So if you want to know what the thing's about, there's a QR code on the back table. Just click on it with your phone, and it'll tell you all the stuff about the retreat. Um, I'll be back there for a little bit after church if you want to talk to me about it, and I can let you know uh, what it is. But it's going to be fun and just to get away, and it's just a good thing for guys to be with Guys from other places to be like, oh, cool, you guys, you guys are going through this stuff too. And that's just a powerful thing. So, uh, but we need to have final numbers by later this week. So after church, if you're into it, meet me in the back. We'll talk about it. Sound good? All right. Um, hi, I'm JJ. I get the, the honor of um, leading this rabble of people. We've been known as the, I've heard us called the Gypsy Church before, but we're just a group of people in 2023 in Bellingham, Washington, that uh, believe that God is real, believe that God is good, and believe that he has uh, good things in store for us, uh, his people. And uh, we gather together every week so that we might grow in our understanding of who he is and maybe in our experience of his goodness and that uh, we might have a greater capacity um, to receive things of the kingdom of God. I want to start today, well, first of all, let me pray. Let me ask God to bless this time of study. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I was just thinking about those songs we sang, and um, I always wonder what the songwriter was going through when they wrote those things. What was the person thinking? I know there's famous stories around some of these songs that we sing about how someone was going through something in their life and they wrote this kind of plea, this, this, this song that we are being blessed by years and years later. Um, the reality is we're all going through stuff. And as we open up your word today and we start this new series, Lord, we want, to, um, we want to make a declaration in this place. Our declaration is this. As we open your word, you will meet us there. As we open our hearts to you, you will speak to them. When we invite you into a place, it is your delight to be there. So, Lord, we invite you here. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, you guys, we're going to start a new series today. Uh, we're going to start in the book of Genesis in what we're calling, um, I don't know, it's something clever. Do we have a slide for it? It says something like, in the beginning. <laughs> I came up with that on my own. Genesis means the birth or the beginning, the starting place. Before we get into that, I've been thinking about this quote, this story that I'd heard. I'm like, where did I hear it? I know I read it somewhere. So I'm digging through all of these books, and I'm like, where is that stinking story? And this morning, I was at the house, and I was looking through a few more, and then I remember where I read it. I want to read you guys this real quick. I'll find it. It's right here. Charles Steinmetz was an electrical engineer of towering intellect. After he retired, he was asked by a major appliance manufacturer to locate a malfunction in their electrical equipment. None of the malfunctioners, excuse me, none of the manufacturer's experts had been able to locate the problem. They couldn't figure it out. So they, they bring this old retired guy in. Steinmetz spent some time walking around and testing various parts of the, the machine's complex. Finally, he took out of his pocket a piece of chalk and he marked an X on a particular part of the machine. The manufacturer's people disassembled the machine, discovering to their amazement that the defect lay precisely where Steinmetz chalk mark was located. Some days later, the manufacturer received a bill from the guy for 10 grand. And then they protested about the amount and they asked him, could you please itemize this bill? This is what he sent back. Making one chalk mark, $1. Knowing where to place it, $9,999. The writer of this book, which is a rad tool, by the way, um, 30 Days to Understand the Bible. When I first saw this, I was like, oh, this is for new Christians or people who don't know anything about the Bible. But I'll read it and see if it's a good thing to recommend. I went through, I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I was so blessed by this author and the way this book is broken down. If you want to grow in understanding, the, well, listen to what he says. This is the introduction. If you know where the chalk mark goes... The most overwhelming tasks are easily solved. If you don't, even simple tasks can be impossible. <laughs> Learning about the Bible can be much the same. If you don't know much about it, it can be like trying to cross the Sahara Desert blindfolded. If you learn where a few major chalk marks go, the Bible will unfold itself to you, allowing you to begin to know it. And then he goes on to share a personal thing, which I won't get into because we'll get into Genesis. But 30 Days to Understand the Bible. I read that and started with this story because there was a reason, there's a point. And the point is this. When you get too close to a problem, it's hard to figure it out. When things are going on in your own life and you're so close... It's hard to figure out. What we need to do is step back 
and look at things from a bigger vantage point. We live in the world of a lot of complicated problems in which we are very involved in. They are close to us. They are close to our families. They are close to our children. They are just culturally, we're like in the middle of this crazy soup of stuff and we're trying to figure out how to navigate, how to get through. Life is complex. We live in a broken world with many skewed perspectives. And it's important to be reminded that there is a bigger picture. Because when you step back and look at something, often you get another perspective. We're going to go through the book of Genesis, not verse by verse. It'll take us 15 years. Um, But you can read it on your own. And if you do read the book, me and Griff were talking about this yesterday at the football game. He was talking about how he had read it, and he was like a bunch of chapters in already. Because as you read, you can read the book in 50 chapters. If you really sat down, you could read it in a couple hours probably. But what we're going to do is I want to go back, and I want to, we want to go back, and we want to look at how God began the things in which now we are involved in, tied up in. Because when we step back, we see that God actually has a plan for everything. He's always had a plan for everything. And we just need to step back and see what that is. And it will help us navigate. Does anyone want to have more clarity on what God's plan is for your life and for this world? Good. Then you're in the right place. And we're going through the right book. When we approach Genesis, we approach it like we approach many things in life, wanting to know where we fit in. What does this say about me? Because we are in such a hyper-individualistic world. Everything we do is catered around the the individual. Some of it's great. Some of it's not so great. Some of it is actually hurtful. But everything that we do is so individual, we forget sometimes that, well that we're a part of something bigger called the human race. Everything is meant to tear us apart and find, and we could even get to the place where we march. We march so to the, own, to the beat of our own drum that we'll say things like, well, what is true for me may not be true for you, and actually believe it because we're building a world around ourselves. That's just kind of how it is. And it, and it tears people apart. But God didn't make human beings to tear them apart. He put us together. So when we approach Genesis, we want it to fit into our understanding. We want to know about the world. But Genesis is designed not to teach us about us. It's put in the Bible to teach us about God. Today we're going to lay a foundation. That's the title of our message this morning, the foundation. We're just going to look at the first Two verses of the Bible, which if you've been around the bridge a long time, you know that my typical way of teaching is not to teach through two verses. I like to teach through big portions of Scripture so we can see how God works things in context and what is true for them is also true for us. But these verses are so, so rich, and I want to lay down a foundation for what we're going to spend the next few months going through. 
Because when we look at the Bible, Genesis literally is the foundation that the, all of Scripture is built on. It helps make sense of the many questions we have in life because Genesis speaks to why. Why? The why of creation. Why is the earth so special? The why of humanity. Why are we here? Not just what are we supposed to do, but like why? The why of evil. You ever wonder, what is up with evil? Where did it come from? What's the point? Why is it wreaking so much havoc? Why does it seem like it's winning? From our perspective, it seems like it's winning. Let me just tell you, spoiler alert, it's not. Jesus already won. We are living in this time and space between Jesus' victory and when he comes in and sets up his new kingdom of which we are a colony this morning. When he comes and sets it up and we get to physically be with him, we live in a spiritual reality that is not yet physically complete. Welcome to being a Christian. But it seems like evil wins. It seems like the world is broken. And if we're honest, it makes us lose hope and say things like, well, just fill in whatever thing in the world is going on that you don't like right now that is hard for you, whether it be the things that our kids are exposed to in the world, whether it's the violence, whether it's the people of different ethnicities, the way they treat each other, whether it's the way that people who would call themselves a Jesus follower talk about the rest of the world. There's so much brokenness. There's so much There's so much pain. Genesis helps make sense of the questions that we have because it speaks to the why. What is up with evil? We'll see. And it makes sense of this question. What's, the, what's up with the gospel? Like I've grown up, some people are like, yeah, I've grown up in church. I've heard that ever since I was a little kid. We sang about this. I was thinking this morning when we're, thinking, when we're singing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'll be honest. In my evangelistic heart that wants people to know the reality of God, there's a part of me that's like, that would sound so weird to someone who doesn't yet know Jesus and believe that and have, understand what that means and where that comes from. That would be like, what can wash away? Nothing but the, that is so gross. That is so weird. But we understand why the gospel, because of Genesis. We understand why Jesus went to the cross, why his blood was shed. It comes because sin entered the world in chapter 3, which we'll get there. But today, we're looking at the foundation. It is so important for us in our complex world with so much going on that's hard to make sense of to go back to where it all began. And it's also important for us to know this. And if you're taking notes, jot this down because I'm going to go through quite a bit of stuff and you can go back and look. And then when life groups start, we can chop it up together during the week. Sound good? All right. It's important for us to know who Genesis was foundational for before it was is foundational for us. 
it was foundational for the people of Israel before it was for us because Genesis wasn't written to us first. It was given to them. So it's helpful to know their circumstances when they received the book of beginnings because God would refer to it to them over and over and over and over and over. I'm reading in Isaiah personally right now, just on Sunday, or on Sunday, just in the mornings. Uh, just finished it. Praise the Lord. It took forever. Isaiah is long. Um, but I was just reading and at the end of it, I don't know, chapter 59 or something, 58. God does this thing where he says, remember what I said. This is what I'm going to do. You don't even get it right now because you're here. You've been there. You're here. I'm doing this. Remember, I created everything. He goes back to this, and he's like, remember who I am. Sort of like, remember who you're talking to. Remember who's telling you this. I created everything. I created you. So I create what I have for you. So he goes back to it over and over and over. They look to the book of Genesis all the time. Genesis is broken up into two major parts. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching this morning before I do my preaching. Two major parts. Chapters 1 through 11, part 1. Chapters 12 through 50, part 2. Chapters 1 through 11 deal, detail the story of God and his relationship to the whole world. Chapters 1 through 11 deal with God and his relationship to the whole world. Starting in chapter 12, there's a second part. It's dealing with God and his relationship to one man and his family. Okay? The book of Genesis, you could be break it up into eight major parts. I don't see hardly any pins moving. I've been studying my butt off all week. You guys can go back and check this out. This is good stuff. There's a reason for it. Eight major things. Four major events, four major people. The major things, creation, the fall, the flood. Yeah, there was a flood. And then the dispersion, the Tower of Babel. What a crazy story. We'll get there. And then there's four major people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. It's best looked at as a whole because the parts and the people go together to show us more about who God is, what he created, what he will do. My friend Nate Holdridge, ripping Bible teacher, uh, that means good. <laughs> he says this about Genesis. I love it, and I'm even kind of paraphrasing him because I heard it in a podcast, and uh, this is what he said. He said, we actually want Genesis to be the opposite of what it is. We want chapters 1 through 11 to take up most of the book. And we want chapters 12 through 15 to take up the smaller portion of the book. We want, it, we want God to slowly tell the creation stuff and answer all of these questions, but he doesn't. He races through the first 11 chapters, and then he slowly tells the story of this people that is so special to him, that he's bringing his Messiah, the Messiah through. He races through the first 11 chapters and then goes very slow through the next, for, through the rest of it. I didn't add them up. 
12 through 50. The first part is the minor part, and the second part is the major part. Well, who wrote it? Consensus is that Moses probably wrote Genesis. We know that he wrote Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy. But the first five books of the Bible are known as the, well, they have several names, the Torah, the Pentateuch, Penta 5, uh, the law, the actually Jesus refers to it in Mark 12, 26, and 27. This is why we attribute it to Moses. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, Jesus said, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. So probably Moses wrote it. When was Egypt written? Or Egypt. When was Egypt written? When was Genesis written? You ever thought about that? It's like we read in the beginning God created. It's like as day and night and all the things were coming was a scroll like floating down from heaven. I was written sometime during Moses' life, probably after he left Egypt and he was living in Midian in the desert or after the Exodus when he could have been on Mount Sinai sometime after that the only portion of it that Moses didn't write uh, most likely was the part about his death. Um, that had just been weird. How did he get the information? Well, no doubt God revealed to him what to write. It says in Second Peter uh, in the New Testament, chapter one, verses twenty and twenty-one. It says this. It says, "Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things." This isn't like Something coming from heaven, someone seeing it, and then writing their whole own deal. Um, but it says that, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So no doubt God revealed these things to Moses, and he wrote them. Also, oral tradition is how... I was looking at the history of like the printing press, how much information has been passed before we actually have had books and stuff. We're in like this much of history since the printing press and so much before, but it's just crazy how these things would have been told to Moses of who God is, of what God has done, and then God revealed to him um, what we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at the first two verses. So if you have your Bible, open it up. Genesis chapter 1. It's not on page 1 because there's always tons of stuff before that. It's a little ways in. Put your ribbon there, marker there. Um, we'll be in Genesis. We'll look at the days of creation next week. But I want to look at the first two verses. You guys ready? It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, or your translation might say, without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, a lot of us approach the Bible with questions, which is great. When people have questions about God, one of the things we want to do is say, How well have you, have you, have you asked in faith for God to speak to you through his word? 
It's a good place to turn people. Because we, we approach the Bible with question, guess what? The opening verse of the Bible is an answer. The Bible opens with an answer. It says this, There was a beginning to all we see, but there was already a being that existed. Creation didn't create itself. You know, I, all week long, I'm like, oh, gosh, how deep do I go into the scientific part of things? How deep do I go into the... Because no matter what you do, especially in the world in which we live, you're going to have someone that's, wanna, that's going to want to combat or come against. So this is how we're going to come at it. Next week, when we look at the days of, the cre of creation, we can look at some different views and, and what, what people have suggested but I'm going to come from everything in my life personally that verse 1 of Genesis 1 is a true statement from God to humanity it starts with him and not me everything that we see around us is a reflection of what God has done not a reflection of what I have done or of what I want that God, in the beginning of all that I know, we know as human beings, God was there. Which means all this something didn't just come from nothing. Because how could something come from nothing? I'm also going to come back. It's not about us, the creation. It doesn't start with us. It's about God, the creator. And it starts with him. The first statement in the Bible states that we are not here by accident, all of this had a purpose. So we're going to point out what God would have wanted the Israelite people to know in these first two verses before he gets into anything. And in turn, what God might be wanting us to know. Remember, we're asking the question like we talked about the past few weeks. So what are you saying, Lord? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And the spirit of the of God was hovering over the water. So what are you saying, Lord? He's saying this. The first thing, God is eternal. Chapter 1, all of chapter 1, when you read it, read it from God's perspective, not your perspective. When we get to chapter 2, we'll look at it from man's perspective, Adam and Eve, and what they face and what was going on. Chapter 1, from God's perspective. See, we ask questions. I've, you ever, parents, have you ever had your kid say this, how old is God? Or how big is God? We ask things like, when was the beginning? God tells us, God doesn't answer when was the beginning. He gives us an answer. At the beginning, I was there. See, we measure everything through different measurements. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast, beyond all measure. But we say how wide, how deep, how long. We use different measurements. How does it work? God has given us an amazing ability to figure out how things work. There's a name for it, operation science. We can figure out how things work. It's pretty amazing. What we don't know is how things began, origin science. If you're into science, you're going to eat this up. If you're not, do not fall asleep. 
what we can do as humans is we can figure out operation science. We can observe this thing. We can measure it. We can figure it out. And if we want to know origin science, we have to use the things that we know in reverse to go back. You guys know that's how the Big Bang came about. You take what we know, the rate of the universe expanding, because it's expanding, you can measure it. So if you take that, the dude's name was Hubble, who figured it out. He's got a telescope, no big deal. <laughs> and they're finding now that not only is the universe expanding, that what? It's infinite. It goes on and on and on. That doesn't make sense if you're trying to measure something. The word infinite means like immeasurable. It just goes on and on like it's outside of a measuring scope. Without God, we have to use operation science to figure out the beginning. The Hubble constant is what's it called. It's a measurement of the current expansion rate of the universe. This is the measurement used to get us back to the Big Bang, the explosion which occurred at the start of the known universe, which set us into this motion. <laughs> Things are expanding, certain rate, so you just play it in reverse. And then you get back, and it implodes. But what was before that? It's an unknown. The reality is, no one was there at the beginning. The Bible tells us, before there was a beginning, God always existed. He has always existed because he exists outside of our measurable world. That's what it means when he exists outside of time and space. God is eternal. God is infinite, meaning not measurable. But we use measuring things. So we're like, wow, he must be, what do we say, really big. So big. Because we try to measure, but the reality is it's a different, it's a whole different deal. This is the way God revealed himself to Moses. God, who shall I tell them is sending me? And God said this weird thing. Tell them, I am that I am sent you. Just I am, always am. What does the last verses of the Bible say? Go all the way to the very end of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Go all the way to the end. Revelation 22, Jesus speaking, says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Since the existence of God, one commentator says this, and then we'll move to the next point. One commentator says this, and I couldn't find his name because I was going back through, and so forgive me, but he's super smart. <laughs> he says this, since the existence of God is not subject to scientific proof, it must be a position of faith. And since God transcends all his creation, meaning he goes beyond it, he can only be known in what he reveals. God is eternal. Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that. The second thing that we learn from just these first two verses, before we get into creation, is that God created everything. How did things come into existence? In the beginning, God created, it says, the heavens and the earth. It's been said, and I believe it, that if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, 
you can make sense with the rest of it. We have to make some sense of how something came from nothing. If we really think about it, we have to make some sense of it. We all have to tap into our faith when it comes to how the world came to be. All of us, Christian, non-Christian, any religious faith, any, anyone. When you start thinking about how something came from nothing, there is not enough sci measurable science in the world to give you, you're going to have to tap into the faith part of who you are as a human being. And you have it, I promise. We all have it. We were created that way. We all have to tap into our faith when it comes to how the world came to be. There are different theories. For our sake, we'll look at two kind of main ways to look at it. One, it starts with us, what we can see, what we can measure, what we can know, and then we work from there and we get to what might have happened. So how the earth might be X amount of billion years old, how we might have come from this, that, or the other. Whatever it is, we start with us, what we can see, and we work our way backwards. The other one starts with God and works its way forward. What he knows, what he says, and then not what might have happened, but what he says did happen. Natural causes versus supernatural causes. Because according to Scripture and to the, and to the Lord, all that we see, God created. Now, here's what's going to really trip you out. Maybe some of you have thought about it and you haven't, or maybe some of you haven't. In the beginning, God created. That tells us that he actually, the first thing he created was the beginning, time. Before that, there was only the eternal realm, the infinite, the eternal, in which God existed. And we'll get into where the stuff like Father, Son, Holy Spirit comes from. We'll see pictures of that in this very first beginning portion of the Bible. So when people are like, yeah, where's, it, where's the Trinity at in the Bible? Or where does it talk about this? It talks about it in the foundations of Scripture. The Spirit was hovering over the waters. Uh, next week we'll see the first probable picture of who Jesus is in the Old Testament. God created time. And then it says he created, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The expression, the heavens and the earth, indicates the totality of the universe, the whole thing, the bookends, the physical and the spiritual realms. Because we don't have anything that says, like I said, he breezes through some of 11 chapters. So when we talk about the devil, where did the devil come from? When did God create the angels? When did this happen? When did that happen? We start from what God says. You trickle it out through all of Scripture. You can put pieces together. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the physical, the spiritual realm. You guys look bored. Did you know there are two words for create in the Bible? I love this. I was going to start a landscape company years ago. We started a tree company instead. Um, and it's the opposite of create. We, we destroy. But in a creative way. Um, that's not going to be our tagline for, our, for the business. Uh, our tree service, Summit Tree Service. Um, but I wanted to start a landscape 
company years ago, and I was going to call it this, Bara Landscapes. Bara is a, means create. In the beginning, God, Bara. The only problem with using Bara for a company that we might create is Bara means to create something um, out of nothing. We could use the word uh, ASA, A-S-A. It means to create using existing materials. But in the beginning, God bara. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. We are created in God's image with his fingerprint. We as people are creative. We can ASA. We can create using existing materials. When a person is created in God's image, it's in his likeness. We serve a creative God. He created everything. God created the raw material in which he would form the world. Another thing that we want to know, that Egypt or the, the Israelites, as they were freed out of Egypt and they were finding themselves three million strong in the desert, and they're revealed in the beginning God created and then they're going to trace their lineage all the way to them. God is, he created everything. He's eternal. The, another thing they would have known is that he is wise. These first verses tell us that God is wise. He knows how the world should be. He knew how to make it. He knew what to make. The world is fine-tuned for the flourishing of human life. One, one uh, scientist says, it's just right. God knew that the amount of 21% oxygen is perfect for human life. Any less, we would suffocate. Any more, there would be spontaneous combustion fires all over the place. He knew that the amount of gravity is perfect. You ever thought about gravity? Unless you're really into jumping, then you wish it was just a little bit lighter. But the reality is gravity was a little bit lighter or nothing would be held in orbit around the sun. It would, it would go away and the, and the sun would come away and we would freeze to death. If gravity was any heavier, we'd be smushed into the, to the floor. It says this, if, if the, the gravity, if it was changed one part to 10 to the 40th, which is like really big, the sun would not exist and the moon would crash into earth. God knew the rate in which the earth spins is perfect. This is the orbit one, or nothing could be held in orbit around the sun. The sun is just the right distance from earth, 93 million miles. If it was any closer, we'd fry. If it was any further, nothing would grow. God, like, knows what he was doing. The way the world operates reveal God's wisdom, which would lead us to the next thing. God is good. One of the things I want to talk about in Genesis that I think goes against contrary cultural feeling is that God is good. Because it doesn't matter if God is right, we may say, if God is mean, if God is bad. How could we move into these next things and look at the first couple and look at how man and woman came to be and look at roles and different things that God has created us different. How could we go to any of that stuff and even care what God has to say on the subject unless we come to him knowing 
that he is good, that he is wise, that he knows what is best, he knows what he is doing. We'll see next week, every day after creation, God looks at it and it says, and it was good. The world is good for human life. It was created for us to flourish. And the last two things, the last thing for verse one, they would have, been, they would have known that God loves us. Did you know that the best explanation of God in a, one of our words is the word love? Why did God make the world? He wasn't lonely. He wasn't bored. He was dwelling in perfect unity, one with himself, Elohim, one God, separate persons, perfect community. God created the world and the little fishies in the sea and somehow dinosaurs and somehow us. Not because he was bored, it was because it was for us to have fellowship with him so we could see that he loves us. He created a place for us to enjoy his presence and he wanted to show us humanity his love. Now we live a long time away from creation. We live on the other side of what is known as the fall where sin entered the world. After sin entered the world and after God showed his love in this way, 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, John says, for, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That was God's all right, you ready to have your brain blown for if it hasn't yet? Before God said, uh, verse 3, which we'll get to, let there be light. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, heavens and the earth. He created it to be good. Somehow in God's sovereignty and in his love, he saw his son on the cross paying for your sins and my sins. Before, he said, let there be light. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in their perfect union, had some sort of discussion like it's worth it. That's how much we love them. That's what John's talking about when he says, so do you understand how much God loves us? God is love. That somehow in his perfect creation, he saw sin, he saw brokenness, he saw our world, he saw the confusion, he saw the hate, he saw the pain, and he's not mad, and he's not sick of everybody. He loves people. Fiercely. Some people would be like, that kind of doesn't make sense. Actually, it says in the Bible that in the heavenly realm, the angels are looking going, that doesn't make sense. Things in which the angelic beings look curiously into, Scripture says. This love that God has for humanity doesn't make sense doesn't make it any less real. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He punished. Jesus allowed himself to be punished for us because he loves us. So when we want to point out things, listen church, if we want to point out things in the world that are evil, may you filter every comment you want to make through those verses. Before you want to point the finger at what's going on in the world, maybe you be brought to your knees by the radical love of God in your life. That while you are God's enemy, he showed his love this way, that his son was pierced for your transgressions. And you were made clean by the blood of Jesus. By the way, if you don't know what that song is about, that's what we're singing. It's not that we're good. It's that Jesus loves us. And we gather together every week and we're like, God, you love us. We're going to sing this over ourselves so we remember, so we can treat people with honor and dignity because they may not believe in you yet, but you created them in your image. And you love those people. That's what the church is supposed to be. When we say stuff like, we're on mission. Well, what kind of mission are you on? Because we're not in a mission to like, we're not on a mission to hurt people. We're on a mission of reconciliation that people could see God for who he truly is. And so how do we know for God for who he truly is? One of the ways is we go back to what he wants us to know about him at the very beginning of creation. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right, last point of the morning. Verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The point is this. The raw material was there. God hadn't done anything with it. I, I think about a potter's wheel. And so God created bara, and now he's going to create from that. So it's like God in his wisdom and goodness and love and mercy thought of everything. My friend who is like wicked smart scientist dude, Alex, I haven't talked to him in years. But he says, when God said, let there be light, he wasn't like, um, okay, light. What do I need? Oh, yeah, I need this and that and the sun and all this stuff. He just said, light be and light was. Like God already had and knew everything. He created the raw material of which we would be made from, of which the animals would be made from, and which the earth would be made from. The point is the raw material was there, but it hadn't been formed into anything this is what I think would have really blown the Israelites away and I hope does for you and me today. God takes what is formless and void and makes it into something good. It's a principle throughout the Bible. Started right here. God always takes something that has sort of chaotic things happening and, not, and maybe some potential, but doesn't look like it's good for anything. He has the habit of taking things that are not yet and making them into something good. Did you know that that's what he would have been doing with this people? You are my people. He was going to give them the law. This is how I want you to live. This is what will help you to thrive in this world. I want you to be set apart for me, not for the gods that people follow. I want you to be set apart for me. I created everything. And so he would have 
ask them to trust him, but he would have told them what he was telling Abraham. I'm going to make you something great. They were just freed slaves. They were nothing in the eyes of the world. But he was like, no, I take what is formless and void and I make it into something complete and good and beautiful. There was no shape to them as a people, yet they were going to be something great. It's the same for us. So what I believe. God knows you. Before you were born, he knows you. God's spirit is hovering over your life, even over the chaos and things that are going on. And this is true for you as it is for anyone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. He is a new creation. Or she, the old has passed away, the new is here. If anyone is in Christ, the new bara has come. God takes and creates something totally new. That's what we say when we say, create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit in me. That's David when he was confessing his sin. He was like, God, take something that is formless and void and make it clean and pure and beautiful. So this is a concluding thought of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. What maybe you could put in your pocket and uh, put it little, don't put it in your pocket, put it in your heart. It says, write these things on the tablets of your heart, post them on the door, on the doorposts of your house, but and tell your kids. Meaning, speak it over somebody else, and you'll be reminded of yourself. But this is what I think the Lord wanted you to take with you today. You are not here by chance. All of this something didn't come. From nothing. I remember God used creation, as he says in Romans chapter 1. It speaks of a creator. But it's meant to lead us to a place where I, you, you guys know me, I really love being outside. Like I like being outside more than I like being inside. God did a really good job with outside. He created the outside. We created the insides. We're good. He's better. I was on a bike ride yesterday up on Chuckanut, and I looked out, and I could see Baker and the sisters and, like, and Lakes. I was in the sickest spot, and I looked out, and I'm just always like, God, man, you did such a good job. <laughs> you ever seen Bruce Almighty where he's, like, looking, and Morgan Freeman plays God? Okay, Morgan Freeman's not God. He plays a good God. But he says, oh, something about, like, um, what did he say? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I created this valley that you would, like, look up at her. Like, it was just like, whoa. I was in that view yesterday, and I'm like, God's seen this from here. He did such a good job with creation. It didn't come from nothing. He designed it. You have a designer. You have a maker. You're not here by chance. Your mom and your dad or your mother and your father if they were good, if they were wrong, God used them because the seed of woman, the seed of man will create more humans. We don't make any other things. We make humans. But humans came from God. You have a maker before you were in your mother's womb. While you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, I formed you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't give a crap what anybody's told you. 
For those of you in this room that you were told you were nothing, they were wrong because you're something, something special to God. Oh, and then for those of you that think that the world revolves around you, let me just tell you, I'm like, I'm always like, in this world, some people need to be told, you're so important. And some people need to be told, you are not that important. <laughs> when we're prideful and we build ourselves up and God is, and he's, but he doesn't knock us down. He shows us how much he values that person next to us. You have a maker and we have a sustainer, one who holds it all together. The universe, here's what science can measure. The universe is expanding. So resources are running out. This thing can't last forever, so we got to move to Mars. And I'm telling you, God said it's, it was only meant to last. Since the fall, it's only going to last so long. You don't have to be scared. Just steward what God has given us well. Treat people with dignity and honor and look to Jesus. And don't worry about maybe things that are beyond figuring out, but trust that God is working all things together for good for those of us who love God, who are called according to his purpose. There is a sustainer, the one who spoke the world into motion and is currently holding it together by his authority. Oh yes, he is the authority, not you, not me. And that's good news. Because before we move into the days of creation, I think it's good for us to know that we don't have to figure this whole thing out on our own. We don't have to be, now we should take care and a wise person leaves an inheritance for their children's children's children. Meaning we want to leave this world better than we found it. And we want to raise up our kids in a way that they should go and pass to them good things. But God is the one who sustains all things. He created it. He is holding it together. And his plans and his purposes, he said, will stand. So look to him. Let us look to him. As we go through Genesis, that's our heart as a church. Because there are things going on in the culture right now that I believe if people knew that they were created, our creator is eternal, he is good, he is wise, and he loves them, then maybe some of the stuff we're going through, we could be helped in that. So let's look to him. And we'll end with this verse. Because this is what God says about you and me. For we are God's handiwork. Translation, masterpieces. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know that God doesn't just see you? He sees what he wants to do through you. As a matter of fact, somehow, there's like things written down already of what you're going to do. You just haven't decided to do them yet. That's how God's sovereignty and our free will somehow work together. But there are things that God, the Spirit is hovering over you and being like, I'm going to make something so sweet here. That's God's design and plan for you. It doesn't matter if you don't even know the Lord yet. He knows you. So when people are like, I don't even believe God. Believe in God. My answer is always the same. He believes in you. <laughs> for you are created. And you place your life in Jesus' hands. He says it's a new creation. You are born of the Spirit. He doesn't just hover over you. Hover over you. He makes his dwelling inside of you. 
and he births things and grows things and leads you into new things because that's his good pleasure to do so. Look at the world around us. God did a good job and you're his masterpiece. So, Father, we thank you for today. And as we sing this last song, it's one I was just thinking about this week. Maybe it'd be a good reminder for us to sing. But Lord, as we start Genesis...